Well, amen. Good morning, Identity Church. So, so glad to have you this morning. We're, uh, it's been a great week. Uh, I know that, you know, we've been talking about this spirit, soul, and body thing. And I, I went through talking about, you know, how Adam and Eve was made in the likeness and the image of God. And, you know, one of the things that I keep trying to drive home, I feel like sometimes I don't get to explain things the way that the Holy Spirit would have me explain them because I'm insufficient. But I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is constantly teaching you the things that I can't get out of my mouth, okay? So sometimes I'm sitting there trying to teach about something in my flesh that is a spiritual thing and we need the Holy Spirit to come in and just like we talked about before, fill a crack, right? I've got an area that I'm like, I don't fully understand this all the way to the nth degree. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit will come in and he'll give you that extra knowledge, that supernatural knowledge. Because there's some things that are not known to the flesh. They're going to be known to the Spirit. You're going to know things and you're going to say, I don't know how to get this out to you, but I'm going to give you a seed and when I put the seed in your heart, the Holy Spirit's going to come water it. See, that's what we have to understand is that in everything we do, it's going to be incomplete in this. You know, we were talking about chili con carne because, you know, our, our five, five senses, our flesh, you know, we know it, my grandfather sold Ziegler chili bricks, you know, chili con carne. It was basically just meat. And it had a big fat cap on top of it. We'd have to scrape that sucker off. Well, guess what? That's the ugliness of what happens in our, in our flesh. Because our flesh has all these different things. I could say one word to everybody in here. And y'all all might think of a different thing. Like, I will tell you a word that in different church circles, people think differently about it. And that would be the word Grace. Some people say, well, I gave grace to someone or be graceful to someone. What they really mean is mercy. But see, they've been taught by people that's like, well, I don't know what, I don't know exactly how to explain grace. So I'm going to use the word grace for everything. How about the word faith? I've had people go around and say, well, faith is this and faith is that. See, at the end of the day, we have to understand that Grace and faith mean something in the Bible. A lot of times we have to understand the context in the Word of God. And that's what I would really want you guys to do is if you're sitting there going, you know, every time Dusty talks about grace or he talks about faith, I don't know if I understand it as God's gift is what grace is. I've never heard it that way. I don't really understand it that way. Or faith is just trusting God. That just like Hebrews 11.1 1 says that, you know, faith is the, uh, the evidence of things hoped for, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The thing is, is that was, that was a, well, we think it's Paul that wrote Hebrews, but it might be a Paulinian idea. God may be sitting there going, hey, I want you to trust my word, not just have a substance of those things. So, I say that as a, as a way of being able to pull this together that when I start talking about something, ask the Holy Spirit if you're like, well, Dusty said something about this or I'm reading something in the Word. What does this mean? The Holy Spirit will come along and go, let me clean it up for you. Because Dusty's imperfect. I'm not able to, to tell you everything that's in my heart because if I did, I mean, we'd be here a long time because I'm not really good at being able to get it all out. But I want to start this, this part of our journey on where is your bubble. And as we were talking about last week, I got this bubble level. In fact, mine broke this week. Sad face. But it still works. It just doesn't have a chain on it. But essentially, this bubble level represents that on one side of it, I have my, my flesh, my five senses. It's what I see. And then on the other side of it is the image of God that is on the inside of me. And see, that's what we understood when I taught on this two weeks ago is that Adam and Eve and us were made 
in the image of God. The image is a likeness. Well, the likeness of God is not a nose and an eye and he's got a beard. So, you know, you know, all the ladies in here, you're missing God because you're not growing beards. <laughs> See, that's not the way this thing works. God is not saying, I want you to look like a human being. He said, I want you to be made in the likeness and image of me, which is a spirit, soul, and body for us. And it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is a three-part being. We are a three-part being. And see, that's when we get to the spiritual side of everything that we have. God is in the fiber of our very being. He's at the, he's at the very protons, electrons, all of, the, all of that space that's inside of us. God is holding us all together. And see, he is there in the spirit and has recreated our spirit. Now we are spirit of God, the soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions. And then our body is this out here. Dusty's spirit does not look like this big old dude standing up here on the stage. My spirit looks like a spirit. What does the spirit look like? You can't see it. That's why faith is so important for us to understand. Is because we have to understand that God is a spirit. And we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. So, of course, the, the scripture that I, I'm kind of going off of, and there's other scriptures for this, but 1 Thessalonians talks about that, that you have your whole spirit, soul, and body are preserved brain, blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that here on earth when you believe Jesus then now you have been preserved. See, the same word preserved would be just like, just like in Ephesians 1.13 where it says that we were sealed. Well, if you're going to go make preserves, what are you going to do? You're going to can them, right? You go through, got the little pop lock tops that's on the, on the preserves. Well, if the thing's popped, what happens? It's no longer preserved. You got to put that thing in the refrigerator or it goes bad quickly. Well, see, God said, I'm going to make your whole spirit, soul, and body, I'm going to make it blameless. I'm going to preserve it to where until Jesus Christ comes back, you have no blame because he paid the price for it. So he comes and he vacuum seals you. So we have this connected spirit to God. We have our mind, will, and emotions, and we have our five senses. What we see, hear, taste, smell, and what we touch. But also what we feel. It goes into the emotional realm. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Last week I went through this. This is maybe a new concept for everybody. But essentially what we have to understand is that our flesh takes in all of the, all of the, the carnality of the world. That's the adultery, fornication, unclean acts, lasciviousness, idolatry, wrath, hate, strife, contention, sedition, jealousy, envy, murder, reveling. We have drunkenness or, or no soberness of mind, witchcraft, heresies. See, our flesh takes on this idealism of the world because it sees the world. It hears the world. It fills the world. I got news for you. I woke up this morning and I, the world happened to me. I put my feet down. I was like, oh, my legs. Oh, my back. You know, that's just the world. We live in a world. The gravity is pulling us down right now. Every single moment, people get up and go, man, this hurts and that hurts. Do you know that the, the flesh is something that carries the rest of you. It's like your car. I said this the other day. I said, if you came by the church and you saw my red SUV out here, what would you think? Where's Dusty? He's at the church. But did you see me at the church? The answer is no, I'm inside the church. But you have a key indicator that says Dusty is there. So you know me by lots of different Things, physical attributes, if you will. Now, I will tell you this. If I'm talking to you on the phone, like I was saying the other day, if Heather was to pick up the phone and call me up 
And all of a sudden, I started talking out of my head. She's going to go, something's wrong. I need to call somebody. I need to call the doctor. I need to call an ambulance. Because if Dusty's talking out of his head, I know how Dusty talks. And although I am kind of crazy, she knows that that's not the kind of crazy I am. So she's going to go, I know his soul. I know the way he acts. I know the way he reacts to things. I know his emotional temperance. See, we can know each other. But then when we get to the Spirit, I do believe that there's a lot of Christians that they cover that part of themselves up. They get their emotions and they get their flesh out there and, oh, it's bad. Oh, I was treated wrong. Do you know that every single time in your life that you allow all of these things to walk in the flesh, that your body, your, your carnality, if you allow that to just remain in the world, your spirit, your soul, and your body, that your mind, will, and emotions will elevate towards that thing. And so we have to elevate our mind, will, and emotions towards the Spirit of God, the recreated new man that's on the inside of us because Jesus himself says, hey, I sent the Holy Spirit to be on the inside of you so that you would know all things. So when bad things are starting to happen, I can either go over here and go, ah, it's bad. Or I can go back over here and go, well, it looks bad. But what do you say about this, Holy Spirit? Oh, now I can walk in the Spirit. I don't have to walk in the flesh. So now love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of those things start to overtake my carnality. Now I start to be a force that is going outward rather than taking everything inward. You know, that's what the flesh does is it takes everything in. But the Spirit pushes it all out. It, it's like a balloon that's on the inside of us that when we start walking in the Spirit, it actually starts elevating itself outward of us. That means that now I start to give back. If something's going on, all of a sudden somebody's flipping out about whatever's going on in, in society, what's going on in their finances, what's going on in their family, then I get to have the Holy Spirit push back out. You know what? God's going to take control. We're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're going to get ourselves through this. That's what walking in the Spirit does is it allows that long-suffering, that gentleness, that goodness, that faith. It allows it to come out of us and be a force that just changes the atmosphere. You know, I've said this before. I've been at work and you just see some contention. You go walking into... Have you ever walked into a room... And you walked in, all of a sudden, you could cut it with a knife. There's just so much contention and anger and strife that's in that room. That's what happens when the flesh, because the flesh goes and starts sucking all that stuff and just making it just this big cloud. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. I've been there said in the name of Jesus, peace come to this situation. And I go walking in and I feel it almost like we're blowing out the air in a room. I don't know how many people have, you know, last couple of weeks, we've had a mouse come and get in our, uh, our sound booth back there. It's been quite um, smelly. He passed away, let's just say that. And... And he is, he's gone on to be with Jesus, and he's left us with the presence of his body, right? But, you know, the thing is, is that we come in and we spray stuff. I've put all this junk out. I've tried to, we've opened up the doors. We've moved everything out. But do you know that his, just like the spirit of God, he still emanates. <laughs> no matter what I'm doing to him, he's just right now, he's emanating out from his body. You know, the Holy Spirit wants there to be the sweet smell of the Holy Spirit that comes out of you because of the temple of God that lives on the inside of you. Do you know that you can be the temple and the kingdom of God on this earth for people, for yourself? You can do it. It can happen. It happens to me all the time. Dusty, before you leave that, yes. On your uh, 
example up there, the chart, I have realized that on the left, the flesh, look how complicated this Oh, is. my gosh. Chaos is like, my God, how did you pull that straight? On the other side, it's... Order. Yes, I, Joanne, that is an awesome thing. You, you brought up a point that I, I think is a great illustration. That's why I wanted to show this, is that for you that are on the Facebook um, you know, or podcast or anything and you're listening to us, I have a, a, a bubble level and it has the walking in the flesh. But you can see on this side that walking in the flesh, there's like, I don't know, 15 things here. That you're, that you're being bombarded by. But when it comes to the Spirit of God, those nine gifts of the Spirit, those nine fruits of the Spirit, those things are so simple. You know, the peace of God that passeth all understanding is living on the inside of you if you've accepted Jesus. You know, the thing is, is that when we walk in the flesh... You got all these complicated things like Joanne just said. You know, they come at you and it is complicated. Do you know how many times I've sat up at night worrying and, and trying to have a, some sort of a, you know, I've got to reconcile this in my mind. And so I walk through basically all of these things that are over here. The, the you know, basically... Um, you know, idolatry, not thinking God's going to be good to me in this situation. He said, God's not going to get me out of this one. I've really got myself messed up. And then I go to the, oh, well, well, I just, I'm just going to go tell that person off. I'm going to have contention and strife with them. I'm just going to tell them off. Well, God, you don't have to get me out of this. I'm going to take care of this. Where's, where's my bad? I'm going to go beat somebody. And then we go through the, the jealousy and the sedition, the division and it all comes upon you. And at the end of it, all you're left with is just yourself. You're, you're left with worry and strife. And Do you know that on the other side, love is just emanating from the inside of you, saying, hey, calm down. You know, there's, there's a, a really good thing about if something really bad happens, take a second. Calm down. What if something's on fire? Well, get out of the house and then calm down. But what I want you to understand is, is that in every aspect of our walk in the Spirit, it all emanates out of love. And if we will just take a second and go, do I love that person? Be honest with yourself. There's sometimes I go, no. No. <laughs> right now, Lord, I don't love that person. And then the Lord starts reminding me what love is. Love is a choice. So I have to change it from, do I love that person or do I choose that person? Oh, that's a different thing. Because when love and like are the same thing, there's going to be a large number in the population that I'm not going to like. Just gonna be honest with you. I don't like pe certain people. That's okay. You know, it's okay if you don't like certain people. But you know what? I can choose everybody. I can love everybody. There's not a person on the planet that I can't choose. I'm gonna say that again because I think that was, I think people were going, huh? What? See, people wanna start out with like before they get to love, but see, love is a choice. Love itself is a choice. And if you can sit there and say, I will choose this person even though they don't like me and I don't like them, then I'm going to find common ground. I'm going to find all these things. I'm going to be long-suffering. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be good. I'm going to have joy when I'm around this person. How many people have ever said, oh, Dusty's going to be there? Using myself as an example. Dusty's going to be there. And that people go, oh. I don't want to go. Do you know that there's times in my life when somebody says, well, you know, such and such is going to be there. And I, I've, the first thing that tries to come in my flesh is, oh, my God. Please, Lord, you know, have a meteor hit somewhere and it keeps me from having to go to this thing. I don't want anybody to die, but, you know, just 
Cut off the interstate so I don't have to go to this thing. But do you know that I can sit there and the first thing that the Holy Spirit says to me? See, it doesn't matter if the first thing your flesh says to you because the flesh is talking to you all the time. Whatever I hear, taste, smell, feel, all that, it's constantly giving you a, a rundown. It, you know, at work we have these monitoring systems and they're constantly giving us an update on what's going on. You know, it's just like the flesh. See, the Holy Spirit, he, he's an interaction. He's not a reaction. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, everything that's going on in our life, we're constantly taking, you know, account of what's going on in our body. I mean, how many people right now knows the pains that are in your body? How many people did not have any understanding of that before I asked you about it? No, you, your body's constantly going, you got a pain in your foot. Oh, you got a pain in your foot. Oh, you got a pain in your foot. And that's what your body does is it's constantly telling your mind, I got a problem. See, the Holy Spirit, when it comes back and we get our mind on him, he's constantly telling us about the goodness and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering. See, we have to get our mind in the right place because if we constantly stay on our body, on our flesh, well, guess what? You're going to have a you're going to have a problem because that's what your your life is going to be. Your life is going to be the things that happen to you, the pains that you feel, and the interactions that you have that you don't want to have. But if we point ourselves over here to the spirit, now I can have long suffering. I even have long suffering in my own body. I need some more long-suffering so that I can go to the gym and maybe get some of the weight off. But at the end of the day, I still, I can get into the goodness and the meekness and the temperance. And I can live that kind of life. And I know we started late, so I'm going to try to get to my point here. So this, this is actually what we're going to talk about for the next maybe couple of weeks. I don't know exactly how long, but this is a complicated thing, and I want everybody to understand what your soul is. Because we've kind of talked about what the overall image of God is for us, but we really haven't dove into the soul that much. So we're going to talk about the soul. And I use this as a plumb line. See, our plumb line in God has to do with our soul. Now, most people, if you've been in construction, you know that people put a plumb line. They look and they say, well, is the wall straight? Is, the, is that board straight? Are these, are these corners straight? And see, the thing is, is that the more the Lord keeps showing me about this plumb line of our soul, it's, you know, he keeps putting into my heart that truth is our plumb line. That when we have the right amount of truth that we can see where our will and our emotions are at. Now, if we don't have truth in our heart, if we have deception in our heart, well, guess what? You're going to end up having problems because your plumb line is going to be off. Because you're not going to have the right amount of truth to be able to line your emotions up and to line your will up. So in 3 John 1, 2... Two through four, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly with, uh, when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walked in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. See, the thing that you need to understand is that if the plumb line of your life is the truth, like I went to the word and I got the truth. How many people in here during the pandemic, you saw the news, you saw Facebook, and there was a lot of untruths, right? I mean, everybody, you, you turned on a TV or whatever and it would say, I remember me and Charlie was talking about this. They made it sound like that, you know, all of a sudden the, the COVID 
that it was lurking behind a corner. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm just out by myself. And then all of a sudden, COVID got me. And people would say, well, you'll cough. <coughs> and it lingers in the air for two hours. I, was that not some of the stuff that was coming out? They would actually show infographics of people in the store. And it would be like one guy on this side with COVID. And he goes, <coughs> and it goes over into the other aisle. And it lingers. And now it's getting everybody. And it's like, oh, it's going to get everyone. Everybody's going to have COVID within two weeks. No, not everybody had COVID. Not everybody got it. Not everybody that they said was going to die, died. But see, we learned the truth and we're still learning truth and we're still learning about things. But how about this? How about the side deceptions that was coming in? So don't even think about COVID. Think about there was lockdowns coming. The military is going to roll tanks down the, down the road and they're going to keep you inside your house. You know, I had people that I trust and I, I've done ministry with and I've, I've had all this. They were calling me up because I'm a cybersecurity guy. I actually get intel briefs. I understand things that are going on that most people don't. And I would get them call me up and go, this is what we're hearing from some of our military people in our church. That, that they're putting the military in these places and that they're going to start rolling tanks down the road. And I'm going, okay. And I go, I've not heard anything about that. I don't see that happening. But I, I trust you. So I'm going to take it under advisement that something's about to happen. I remember Heather and I jump in the car we went and bought stuff so that if we did get locked down for two or three weeks, we had enough food to be able to live on. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't keep a month's worth of food in my house. And number one, I'd probably eat it all, right? But the thing is, we went and we got food. We come back. We ate on that food for over a month. No tank rolled down and said, you know, put their gun on me and said, don't come out of your house. Well, do you know the plumb line that people were putting in our path was that it caused my emotions to go crazy, caused my will to go buy all this food and to go do all these things and to act a certain way and to, and to be in fear. I was afraid. I mean, I can't be the only one in here. I mean, how many people were afraid when all this happened? Nobody in all of the history that of the United States has been locked down. They've not sent people home and said businesses are not going to run and all these other things. This was brand new. And the speculation was wild. I mean, when you can't get toilet paper because everyone went and bought toilet paper, you think this is the end, Okay. <laughs> This is Armageddon, people. We have no toilet paper. We can't even live civilized anymore. Do you know that I want, I wanted so badly to believe the stuff that was coming out. And I did. And you know what? It was not until the truth was revealed that my mind, will, and emotions started lining back up. And see, what I want you to understand is that our soul is our psyche. And the Hebrew is nefesh. And it actually is the seat of our feelings, desires, and affections. And see, our circumstances, our emotions, those are a catalyst for where our will is going to go. I mean, if, if somebody tells you something and you believe it, you're going to go buy a month's worth of groceries if that's, if that's the way it hits you. Your emotions get involved. You go buy a month's worth of groceries. That's the reason why when it snows, there is no bread and milk. People are making bread and milk sandwiches for like three months because they bought it all up. I mean, they're not buying meat. You go into the meat counter and it's like full, but bread and milk, woo. I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're making, you know, like French toast or something. That's the only thing I can... I can do, but our plumb line for our will gives us the indicator is our soul structurally centered. 
Do we have the truth in our mind? Because I got news for you. I can believe a lie even as a Christian and it can cause me to walk after the flesh and not be led by the Spirit. So let's talk a little bit about the emotions for a second. And I'm getting real close to the end, but I, 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 um, I just want to kind of run through some of these because the emotions are a pathium in the Greek, and it means an emotion, uh, a, a conciliation, an affection, suffering, or influence. Like when you read it in the Word, if you go and do a Strong's on some of the, the scriptures we've got here, it's this word, pathium. And so it basically just means that a generic emotion or expression of our circumstances. So our circumstances do something to us and we cry about it. Or, hey, it could be really, it could be nice. And we're crying and laughing. Or we're just laughing. But see, it all is based off of what we see, see hear, taste, smell, and feel. Most of the time, our emotions are only when we see something or we hear it. Now, there are times where I get some really happy emotions if I'm eating something really good. Like next week, when we have, you know, chicken. Ooh, I'm just going to have some good emotions. It's like joy is happening in my mouth. And my belly's getting bigger. So, you know, there's, there's a crying that happens later. But what I want you to understand is that our actual expression of our circumstances is usually a catalyst for where we go next. So in a negative emotion here in Romans 7, 5, it says, For when we were in the flesh, the emotions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth the fruit um, unto death. And then in Galatians 5, 24, and it says, And they that are in Christ have been crucified in the flesh with the affections and the lust. So both of this this affections means the the flesh when it says here let me re-say that. Galatians 5:24. And they that are in Christ have been crucified I'm getting Heather's tongue tied thing, okay? Have been crucified the flesh with the emotions and lust. See most of the time our emotions cause us to go in a particular way. It causes our will to go in a certain way. If we focus too much on our emotions, we will deny truth. We will deny things that we know to be, the, to be right. I mean, how many people, how many people without showing hands have done something that you knew was wrong? I'll raise my hand because I've done plenty of things that I knew was wrong, but it came from an emotion of lust. Oh, I, I'm, I want to go and I want to, I'll just use an overeating. Well, we're going to go to the Chinese restaurant today. Ooh. Well, I know it's wrong for me to eat that third plate. I know it's wrong, but my emotions are going crazy saying, hey, you want that third plate. And I go, okay, I'll take the third plate. But I know that I know that the truth in me says don't do it. It's the lust of the emotion that causes our will to go. And see, that's because we're, I'm like, well, my tongue tells me I can handle another plate. But the Spirit of God on the inside of me is going, stop. Don't do it. See, emotions are powerful because they can cause you to go in a direction that you don't want to go to. So we have to have the ability to calm our emotions so that we can see the spiritual side of ourselves and follow the truth. So a positive emotion here, 2 Corinthians 1.5, it says, For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so are a consolidation, what? Consolation. It, it means emotions. So if you were to say here, for as, the, as the, the emotions of Christ abound in us. I want you to understand this because this is important. For as the emotions of Christ abound in us, so our emotions also aboundeth by Christ. 
See, what I want you to understand is Christ had emotions, but he had the ability because he had the Spirit of God that was on the inside of him to be able to say, I'm not going to allow emotions to rule me. And whether in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 1, it says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your emotions and salvation we, which is effectual in the enduring of the same emotions which we also suffer, whether we be comforted, it is for your emotions and salvation. And for the hope of you is steadfast knowing that as ye are partakers of the emotions, so shall it be as, the, as of the emotions. So essentially, I want you to understand Christ himself was just like us. He had a mind, he had a will, and he had emotions. I mean, when he was being, you know, when he was being, um, you know, persuaded by Satan, tempted, you know, he had his emotions. He was hungry. They, Satan gave, was going to give him bread. He was like, hey, you're the son of God. Well, I'll just go ahead and give you the kingdoms of heaven if you'll bow down to me. You don't have to go through, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do all the things that you wanted to do. Guess what? He was playing on the fact that you don't have to die a brutal death. How emotional is that? I mean, most of us, we sit there and go, I don't want to die. I don't want to drown. I don't want to be burned. I don't, I mean, you know, there's, there's everybody has the way they don't want to die. There's not too many people who go, this is the way I want to die. I mean, no one has it written down, Lord, I want to die in my sleep. You know, every single person that has ever been born, you have a flesh, you have a mind, will, and emotions, and you have a spirit. Now, if you accept Jesus, then now you have the spirit of God on the inside of you. See, and now we have the ability to overcome our emotions as long as we do. You know, there's sometimes, like I said, I know the truth and I still let my will go do things because I'm not, I'm looking at my flesh. But when I turn towards the Lord and I say, Lord, help me, guess what? He does. I probably should do this more when we go to a Chinese buffet, but I don't normally. But it says here in uh, Philippians 3.10, and this is one of my favorite, um, you know, scriptures here because it, this right here gives, gives you an understanding of where our emotional state can be. And it says, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his emotions. See, Jesus didn't suffer in the flesh. Jesus suffered here in his emotions. See, we, we suffer there more than we suffer here. Most of the time, we, we actually make a decision here that makes this hurt. It's just truth. I mean, I know plenty of times in my life that I don't... I could have said, I'm not going to go do this thing. I know it's the wrong thing to do, but I went and did it anyway. And the next thing you know, it was like, man, I got hurt doing it. If it was a physical thing. Now, the truth is, I don't need to be, you know, on a ladder by myself. When I hurt my back out here a couple weeks ago, it was because I was here by myself putting up lights. Okay. I was taking lights down. It was a two or three man job. But you know what? I was free those days to do it. And I'm strong. Ooh, I, can, I can do it on my own. And the Holy Spirit's going, wait until somebody can be here with you. Well, I didn't fall off the ladder. It's just for like a week or so, my back hurt really, really, really bad. But see, my will was like, I can do this. I'm man enough to do this. I can do it. And see, the thing is, is that all of our suffering and our afflictions usually starts here. 
And see, Jesus' afflictions was not about his time on the cross or him being whipped. It was about the emotions of the people that he could not help. It was about the people that he didn't have opportunity to be able to, to do anything for. It was about him having to suffer, not just in the flesh, but in his emotional state. And so one of the things I bring up here is that our emotional state can be the same emotional state as Jesus, unmoved and unshaken. Jesus himself was content. Do you know, most of the times when we talk about being uncontent or, or I, I'm just, just not content in my life, how many people know that that is an emotional state? That is not a state of being. Your state of being is where you are, okay? You can't change it. You might win the lottery tomorrow, and that might be something that you like, but uh, only like 18% of the people who actually win the lottery actually have any of the money left in five years. Most of them are dead on drugs or completely poor. That's just the truth because money is not a state of being. Your happiness is not a state of being. I know that sounds really harsh. If you were to walk up to somebody and they were like, I just am uncontent in my life. Well, your happiness is, is not a state of being. That's pretty harsh, but it's true. Your happiness does not have anything to do with your state of being. It's because you can also get, you can get happy and sad in the same pants in five seconds. I've seen it. I've seen people that was like, I mean, Harper Grace, oh, she runs around here and everything, and then, you know, Matt won't do something for her, and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, mommy, daddy, oh, and all of a sudden they give her whatever it was, and she goes, oh, <laughs> the world is perfect now. But her state of being didn't change because she had the thing. Because I got news for you. We're not hungry in this country. We're, I mean, so you, you can't even go to the, 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 the Maslow, you know, hierarchical needs chart and say, well, you need to be protected and you need to have, you know, the, and I mean, all the business people probably went through all this. I, I did when I was going through business school. I was like, I was like, okay, so you need to protect people. You need to give them, you know, uh, stability and they need to have food. That's like some of the top things that you have in the Maslow chart of hierarchy. And you're like, this country meets it all. See, when it was created for the people that were in Japan after we bombed them, and they were trying to get Japan back online, Maslow came up with this because they had no stability. They had no food, and they did not have any safety. No one could protect themselves. But you know what? In this country, we are happy and sad in the same state of being. It doesn't matter. And see, that's, that's what lets me know that our will follows whatever we want. And it doesn't always follow truth. But when we can get it back to truth, then the plumb line of truth actually gives us the ability to say, our emotions are out over here. Let's sure up that emotional wall. Let's sure up our will so that we go towards the spirit and not towards the flesh. Because if every time, oh, I get my little thing, I feel better. You know, some of that is being taught. You know, they actually did a study. It's like the Pavlov dog, dog type thing where you ring a bell and they would eat, and the dog would be happy, and it would salivate if you rang the bell after a while. Do you know that they've done that with humans? Where in some of these places like China, where you have your own little compartment that you live in. And as long as you have just certain things, everybody's happy. They can keep the, they can keep the Communist Party going as long as they can feed them at least this many times, and they give them some sort of entertainment. 
They've seen this. This is a study that actually came out and showed that you can control people's mind, will, and emotions through just giving them... What you do is you break them down to the most basic level to where they're all unhappy. And then you give them one thing. Well, I feel happy now. Well, I'm going to keep giving you that one thing. and You feel happy. And guess what? There is a point where it's like... I'm no longer happy with just that one thing. So what they do is they give you a little bit more. It's a little bit like a drug dealer, right? Until now you've bought into it. And then people get to the point to where it's like, as long as I got my TV and my lounge chair, I can sit in a 10 by 10 apartment in the middle of China and it doesn't matter to me anymore. This is truth. This is what's happening in parts of the world. This is what's happening to America. See, the pandemic... Oh, I don't want to get too far into this because this I'm going to sound I'm going to sound like I'm getting political, but the the problem is is that we have gotten accustomed to some things now. That's why people aren't going back to work. Oh, I can go sit down and as long as I got my my cell phone that the government's paying for and as long as I got my TV that the government's paying for and as long as I got my couch and then I can have my EBT, I can go out there and I can buy my my groceries. I don't need anything else. See, what we've done is we've created a baseline where the emotional state is the ceiling and below is about an inch thick. And as long as I can keep these little bitty things going, and then I can point back to these people who have more than you do and say they're the evil ones, well, that keeps you happy because I'm being oppressed and I'm sitting here do you know that, that this is the problem that we have is that our emotional state is, a, is in discontent and not in contentment. So right quick, this is the last slide I have here. To be content, I can't even say this word. If y'all want to know, it's um, aruk ikara, whatever it is. But it means in the Greek to be satisfied or a sufficiency of mind and necessity of life. So one of the things I want you to understand is the things and people concept. Because if I think we're out of balance in this culture about things and people. In 2 Corinthians, it said in, in chapter 9, 7 through 8, it says, So let each one of you give as his purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound or to excel towards you that you always have insufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. Okay, do you know, do you know what a good work is? Anything that has a need is a good work. Like I may be sitting here going, somebody needs some food. So we go and we give them food. Hey, we just did a sock drive. People need socks. But see, I'm able to give because, you know, I'm wanting to give to the good work. But, you know, understanding and not confusing a couple things helps me to understand because a lot of people think that this scripture has to do with just cashola, right? Give of cash. You know, if, if you just give more, then we'll have more. Well, see, that's a things proposition. But see, people and things are two different, are, are two totally different spectrums. And see, I had, a friend, I had a boss tell me a while back, it was like, people are people and things are things. And the Holy Spirit said, yes, and this is something you need to know about who you are because people are confused about this. See, most people think to themselves, hey, as long as I've got things, then I'm happy. As long as I'm able to give things, then they're going to be happy. But do you know the, the thing that I keep coming back to is the fact that Every time I start getting into a things proposition, then I start looking at people like things. People start becoming an objective just like a thing is. What, how can I use this person? How can I use 
You know, that was a part of the ministry that I remember. People all the time would go, well, you know, I want the Lord to use me. I want the Lord to use me. Use me, Lord. Use me, use me, use me, use me, use me, Lord. I need to be used. I need to be used. I need to be used, Lord. Call me. Call me. Equip me. Use me. You know, especially when I was going to Bible school, that's all I heard. You would be sitting there and people would say, we'd have prayer times at our Bible college. And the next thing is just let the Lord use me. I want to pray that the Lord uses me more. You know that the Lord never created you to be a thing. He created you for good works. And good works could be things like relationship. He created you to be able to give of yourself in a way that has nothing to do with a thing. You know, for a while, people wanted me because I could play the guitar. You know, at work, people want me because I talk. You know, when you're filled with like really genius people that are computer engineers, when you find somebody that can actually talk about the thing that you're trying to do to like upper management, they go, grab that guy. He's going to be doing these PowerPoint presentations from now on. And that's what my job ended up turning into. I have people that are just savant-like smart that I go and tell the upper management about what we're doing. Well, I've become a tool for communication. And you know what? Sometimes I get treated like a tool of communication. Do you know that Jesus wants us to treat people like people and things like things? And when something is a good work, then what we're doing is we're creating the opportunity to be able to get into people's lives, that we're not creating a things proposition for them. See, what we need to understand is that Jesus himself did not come to the earth and say, you know what, I'm going to give everybody jobs. Do you, do you understand that even when Jesus walked up to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you choose me? Are you agape me? And Peter turns around and goes, yeah, brother, I like you. That's what, that's what Peter did. And then he would turn around and he'd go, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And he would go, yeah, you're my bro. I love you. Feed my sheep. He never said, go and learn how to be a carpenter and build a church in every single city. And then learn how to play the guitar and the piano and the drums. He never said that. In fact, Jesus never, ever decided to say, go do something other than be with people. Now, we as the American church, it's like, well, I mean, I, and in order to be able to have a church here, I mean, I had a church in my house. I mean, there was a lot of people who was like, hey, I'm not coming to your house. I actually had people go, yeah, if you had a building, I might come. Okay, well, then now i got to get good at buildings, okay? i got to become an electrician, and I'm, I'm a plumber. Do you know that I know more about electrician and plumbing since I took over this building? Because now, do you know that they charge three times the amount of money to do work on a building that is a business than a home? Because I guess they go, well, you got the money. Well, you know, the thing is, is that the Lord called me to be a pastor. But so far, there's a lot of times where I've just been called to like, where's the plunger? I need to go and plunge the toilet. Where's the toilet that's all clogged up? This is what we did yesterday. It was like, that. Heather goes, that toilet doesn't flush really well in the men's bathroom. I go, okay, so I have to go in there and I have to plunge the toilet. There was nothing spiritual about that <laughs> at all. But see, what I want you to understand is that good works are to benefit yourself and people. It's not to have things. Now, things are great if you're going to use them to benefit people. That's awesome. Give money. Give your, your talent. Give of your time. That's all great. I'm not telling you not to do that. If that's what you're taking away from it, you're not, I'm not explaining it well enough. But what I want you to understand is that 
Good works has to do when it benefits a need for people. And sometimes your money is not good enough for that situation. I got news for you. We got a situation right now in the church that I see two people in the back that are giving of themselves that money could, these people have more money than you can shake a stick at. But what they need is they need love. And they're getting loved right now. And I'm not going to go into it all, but you know, it, at the end of the day, I, most of the time I want to go, well, I guess I'm just going to pull out some more money. Uh, who else can handle this? Can, can, I, can I give some money? How, how, do we, how do we get it out of my hands into somebody else's hands? And you know what? I just turned it all into a things proposition. And see, that's what I want you to understand is that if we get people and things confused, then it just messes up the whole shooting match. In 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 14, so we're continuing here. It says, now that he may supply the seed to the sower and bread... For food. Do you know that when you give of yourself, give of money, do you know that there is some of it that is supposed to go for planting and some of it you're supposed to eat? I want you to understand this. Because some people, they give out of whack or they don't give at all. They don't give of themselves. They don't give of their time. They don't give of whatever it is. And the, how do you know about this? The Holy Spirit will tell you that. That of yourself is for you to eat. And this right here is for you to give and plant. Do you know that we have to have that proposition where we understand? Because guess what? You've got to take care of your own self. Me and Heather need to have relationship. You need to have relationships with your spouse and your, and your children and all that kind of stuff. But if all you're doing is giving to ministries and the people that's around you, and hey, some people say, I'm just trying to build my career. Well, guess what? If you're not given of certain parts of you and then taking certain parts and eating it in relationships and in time and in money, then there's going to be lack. But see, we're supposed to give to every good work. And those good works have to do with benefiting people but we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and not just throw all of our bread out. We need to have some to eat and some to sow. And it says here, and um, the end of that says, supply and multiply your seed so you have to sow and increase the fruits of your righteousness. That means your right standingness comes out to everybody. In verse 11 it says, while you are enriched in everything for all uh Liberalties. So there is a point in your life where it's like, hey, I need to be liberal with what I give. It means that I may need to give more than I want to give. Now, he didn't say give of your bread that you ate. See, sometimes I think we take seed and we store it up. Well, I want to give it to the right people. Well, you know what? If we have enough to give to every good work and I need to be able to give to y'all and I need to give to some other folks, well, then there's enough seed for that is what he's saying here. And it says here in verse, uh, I'm going to jump down here to verse 13. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorified God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them all and all men and by the their prayers for you who long for those long for who because of the exceeding grace of God in you what I want you to understand here is that we're supposed to give to the people that we want to give to and to the people we don't want to give to there's going to be people that you're going to go, I really want to give to them because they're going to be able to help me. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible actually says that, that we will come before kings and we will give our gifts. Well, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to go before people and I'm going to give my gift. I go to work, I speak. 
I don't shut it up and go, well, I can't do that. I can't use the gift of God that's on the inside of me not to work. So I go before my bosses and, my, and all of the people and I say, I'll go and explain it to them. And hey, I get paid for it. It's really good. It's awesome. I like money. Money's good. But you know what? There's some people that they come in and they go, you're going to work your tail off for the next six months and you're not going to have one dime. It's just going to be extra work. You're going to have to do it on top of your work. And I go, there's no benefit to me whatsoever to do that. And you know what? That's what the Lord is trying to say is that I give of my gifts freely to those that I want to give and to those that I need to give to that I might not want to give. But there is seed to be able to give to both. Amen? Amen. I'm going to stop right there. There's more that we're going to talk about over the next coming weeks. I really... I know this is, some of this can be confusing because we don't normally take the time to think about where's my will at? Where's my emotions? Where is my mind? I'm going to tell you what, the Holy Spirit has been digging up things in my heart and I know in others that I didn't have the truth of God about things. You know, a lot of times it's because I'm reading the Word. The Word tells me what you believe is not exactly what the Word says. So I have to dig that up and I have to plant new seeds. And you know what? I have to give of myself and eat of this fruit that I'm teaching y'all myself in order to be able to weed out all that other stuff and to be able to have the harvest. Because if I don't, then I'll be just like anybody else that sits around and, and doesn't allow their heart to grow. Eventually, I will just become stagnant. I'll become like that manna that after they picked it that day. What did the manna do after they picked it that day? It rotted. Eventually, it becomes a little bit like that rat. I still smell a little bit of something going on back there. But it's not the former thing. You know that, that we all have areas in our life that we've got truth and deception. Things that we've been taught and things that we have seen and heard and gotten emotional about. And that starts to rewrite the truth on the inside of us to something that is deceit. Let the Holy Spirit this week just come in and just take that and just start to change it to the truth. To where you no longer have emotional outbursts, where you no longer have emotional downtimes. See, depression is nothing more than our emotions are so involved in the things of the flesh that the things of the spirit get crowded out. Everybody bow your head. I pray over everyone that is in here and is listening to this recording. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray. Holy Spirit, you're just making truth a centerpiece in our lives. That it is a plumb line of, of where our will and our emotions are at, Father. And that you are creating an opportunity for us to be able to, to take on these real things that are in our life, that they're not fake things, that circumstances are there. But even if a circumstance comes that I am content, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I'm content whether I have the things that I want or I don't. I just pray in Jesus' name that you're showing each and every one of us our individual places where we're at, that we can change our mind, our will, and our emotions to where we can point back to the truth, to where the Holy Spirit himself can just come in and teach us and create an opportunity for us to be able to provide clarity in our contentness. That we're not discontent where our will and our emotions are out of whack. Father, if there's anybody that's at the sound of my voice that has not accepted you, 
then I want those people to pray this simple prayer with me. Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. I just thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose again and that he recreated my heart. Father, I just accept him and he is Lord of my life. That he doesn't lord over me, but that he has given me authority and power. And because I get him signing that promissory note that right now I am complete and whole in Jesus. Amen. If you said that prayer, if you just said, Jesus, I believe in you and you're the Lord of my life, then you are now part of the family. You've been recreated. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit promise. I just thank you that if you're going to, that the people who who may be listening to this and said, you know, I need Jesus. I don't understand everything that you're saying. I'm just praying right now in Jesus' name that you just continue to walk because the more you walk, the Holy Spirit is going to be there to show and to guide. Amen. Amen.